This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Alan, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Hello and welcome to another edition of Sea to Sky podcast. Today we're in Whistler. This is Alan. I'm alone again. Marcus is down in Squamish covering the election down there. I'm with Jen Ford and we're at Gone Eatery. So if you hear some noise in the background, that are the lovely patrons at Gone Eatery. So I don't know, maybe there's some potential voters here, Jen. Maybe. Maybe. So tell us, why are you, well, what got you into Whistler politics in the first place? Well, lived in Whistler since 2002, rented my place for all of that time um, up until 2011, and I felt that there was a lack of perspective at the table that I could provide. Typically, it was older people that didn't rent homes, didn't have kids, didn't have to worry about daycare, didn't have to, you know, didn't have the same perspectives that I had. And so I felt that it was important for someone like myself to run for council. I looked around at my friends and I said, who's going to do it? And no one put their hands up. So So here we are. Here we are. (laughs) Okay, so when you say someone like you, what's someone like, give us a little bit more detail about your background, if you would. Just paint a picture for us. Okay, I'm 39 years old. I... I've been an employee of Whistler for 16 years. Um, My husband has been an employee here for 21 years. We both work frontline jobs. We were working for the mountain, um, renting a home on the wait list for the Whistler Housing Authority. And there was very little hope that we would ever get to buy a home. And when we did, would we be able to afford it? Because cost of living was going up and it continues to go up. And so we wanted to take action and get involved in the process so that our generation would be heard and understood and considered. Okay, and that definitely seems to be the issue for this election is housing. I guess it's fair to say that's the issue for almost every election going back to as far as I can remember, which is back to the early 90s. Um, but how do we do it? We, you know, we've had the Whistler Housing Authority. As you say, it's not always successful. Other councillors have said the same thing. How do we get housing for people like you? How do we get housing for you know the kids from Australia that want to come here and work at the mountain? You know, where are we going to put these people? Well, you know, I think a big a big part of that question is right sizing our economy. How many baristas do we need? How many people do we need running the lifts? How many people do we need making beds? All of those pieces to the to the puzzle tell us how many full-time employees we need in Whistler. And then to meet that, we want to house 75% of our workforce here within Whistler. How do we do that? The Whistler Housing Authority has been extremely successful. They've leveraged opportunities, free land, employee works and services charges, which they collected on early development to feed the fund that would then help support the building of employee housing, both rental and ownership properties. Um, We've got 1,900 homes within Whistler that are affordable and employee-owned, and um, so that's been a real success. How much more do we need? Well, we've got a wait list of 837 people on the rental list, and we've got a wait list of about 600 people on the purchase list. So um, at some point, we got to get shovels in the ground. Um, we've pushed really hard since 2012. I've been on the board of the Whistler Housing Authority, and we've got three rental buildings. One opened last December. 
two more will open this spring, and then one more in the future. Plus, we just saw last night the plan for Tecumseh Phase 2, which is a huge opportunity for the community to decide how much do we want to build, how many rentals, how many ownership, how much market should be down there. How do we make it an inclusive neighborhood that includes the things that you want to be able to walk to? A grocery store, a daycare, a restaurant, a brewery. Um, so you want to have that conversation with the community to assess where we're going in the future. Um, okay, so a lot of people are talking about check this phase too, for good reason. It seems to be the, I mean, the most logical big chunk of land that's available to, to create that, that housing that we need. Where do you put the priority? Is it more on rental or is it more on market? Uh, market housing for, for long-term employees? Well, the argument was made for me last night. A lot of the presentation spoke to the fact that, you know, we need rental, we need rental, we need to get people in and out and quickly, and we want to get rental people, uh, people that are here seasonally, we need, a, we need to find quick solutions to get them housed, so rental seems to be the obvious. The other bonus to rental is that once you build a rental building and you've occupied it, that is owned in, in perpetuity by the municipality, so or by the Whistler Housing Authority, or or whoever owns that rental building, whether it's private or, or public. And then the rents pay the mortgage. And then the rents pay the mortgage. But yeah. then after the mortgage is paid off, then you've got a revenue flow. Right. And that's a huge win for the WHA that then allows you to continue the process. So rental is a good is a really good start. The other side of the coin is that there's lots of people that are in rental suites now that would like to buy. They want their security. They want to know that they have their own home. And so if we build more ownership properties, it moves those people. As we saw in 2011 when Chequemus and Rainbow opened up, all those people moved out of suites and they moved into their own homes. And that allowed all of those suites to become available again for the new seasonal long-term people that wanted to rent. So it moves people through the spectrum of housing and so how do you decide what how much is yeah, enough what, what, yeah right where do you draw the balance I think that's part of the community engagement and then the other problem that we've always had with the Whistler Housing Authority is how do we index the increase in that housing that people buy they buy below market market prices and we've had a number of formulas in Whistler uh, some not so bad some kind of a failure. Yeah. Um, as they say, it's supposed to be a home yeah. or, or a nest, not a nest a egg. A nest, not right. a nest egg, exactly. Right. So what's your answer to to indexing the, the price of these uh, below market housing? I think They're that... For purchase. Yeah, the purchase homes. I, I was able to purchase my own home last year in WHA, and I'm so lucky that the formula that my property has is cost plus CPI, so consumer price index. So I was able to buy a home that I wouldn't be able to afford if it was market or if it was on the Vancouver price index, which um, 19 Mile and other projects have had um, because they just, they get, they're, they're too volatile with the market. So in this case, um, I think the cost plus CPI works. The different iterations of the covenants over the last 21 years of the Whistler Housing Authority, we've learned lessons as we've gone. And and I think as we continue to learn and we continue to put those things into action, we get to a point where the covenant works really well for what we need it to work. Do you think that people that are on the wait list 
for to purchase houses. Do you think that they become more realistic in the last few years? Because it used to be when the housing prices were skyrocketing and they'd gotten into these uh, employee housing for purchase, they kind of felt left out. They're like seeing other prices double. But now, of course, it may be that the prices are so sky high and they realize they never would have been able to purchase anyway. Uh, maybe they're they're a little bit more realistic in their approach. Do you, do you think? Are you finding that, or do people still feel kind of left out? I think the people that feel left out—that's uh, a hard one to answer because I don't have those conversations very often. Everyone in, that in my circle of friends feels extremely lucky that we were able to buy a home that we can call our own and that we can invest our, in our own pocket for you know the duration of our mortgage and we can put money away in other ways to build up those reserves aside from our housing so you're not um, living hand-to-mouth trying exactly, to pay the mortgage exactly. right exactly right yeah. which is of course the problem it's not just not just whistling we see this everywhere we're certainly in the quarter right. uh, Squamish used to be the affordable alternative Pemberton was the affordable alternative and those no longer exist anymore right um, let's just switch gears a bit speaking of the rest of the corridor um, Jack, who's now mayor, and we just saw walk through here a minute ago, but I know he's busy. Um, I know that he's been open to regional transportation, which is a little bit different for a Whistler mayor. There's been some roadblocks uh, with past councils. Um, Vail Corp, which is no secret, the largest employer here in Whistler, they're looking, just like they've with most of their Colorado resorts, they have most of their employees commute. Mm-hmm. So that means a regional transit system. Uh, we already have a large number of commuters. So are you in favor of regional transit? And if, if you are, how are we going to pay for it? Well, that's an excellent question. Um, I also sit on the squamish Lillooet Regional District, and we've just passed a motion to support moving forward with regional transit at the regional district level in partnership with all of the corridor communities. Um, how do we pay for it? There are a few ways you can pay for it. You can ask the province to pay for it. They may or may not. You can you can do a lot of things, but the, the I think carbon pricing is certainly an option long term because the province is looking at this sort of a solution for the entire province. So they are looking at using those carbon carbon credit carbon taxes to help fund a regional model for the whole province. Within the quarter, we want to get this done quickly. We want to get it in front of the province before before next budget season. So we we think that the, the fuel tax is probably the way to go. Um, if it works, then you get people people that are commuting. Um, hopefully, they're using preferred modes of trans- transportation and making it more affordable to get to and from work, to and from the ski hill, and allows us to sort of broaden our reach for employees down the corridor. What about encouraging visitors to use mass transit? Because boy, I tell you, I have never seen so many traffic jams in Whistler as I saw this summer. I mean, that used to be New Year's Eve, you know, we got a traffic jam like that, or maybe Chris, we got that maybe once or twice a year. It was every weekend this summer. Yes. So how, is is that feasible, do you think, uh, uh, trying to get guests and visitors to come via mass transit? I dearly hope so. Um, I think that we are in a world that convenience and reliability is the most important thing to people. They want to be able to get here when they want to get here, and they want to do it quickly. Um, and so a regional transit has to be frequent and it has to be reliable. 
and um, and so will we see people come up from Vancouver on on transit? I hope that we can get there. I hope we can take bold moves and 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 make it um, attractive for people to use um, to get here, so that we can deal with these. Because the number one thing that we have an opportunity to move with our climate change targets is in transportation. So where we can affect that will help us achieve our, our target sooner. And now I'm going to ask you a question, and this is it's a little unfair because I haven't asked the other counselors that I've interviewed yet this question, but I'm asking because you and I and that may change, but I'm at the reason I'm asking is because you do sit on the SLRD, so this is something that will come in front of you. Is where do you stand on Garibaldi and Squamish? That's a really good question. Um, Garibaldi at Squamish poses challenges for the highway. It poses challenges for the residents of the valley, of Squamish Valley, and um, for their water. And it's adding a product to the corridor that may be a good thing for Squamish. It may be a good thing for the local skiers, the lower mainland skiers. I haven't taken a personal, very, very strong position on it because it's, I think there's a lot, a lot of questions around it. Where are they going to get their water? Does the climate support it? You know, do does the elevation there support that kind of thing? Does the lower mainland tourist economy support that kind of a development? Well, we've 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 interviewed uh, their vice president of planning. Now they they've got answers to all those questions. As I'm sure you're not surprised. No. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's it's true, but. They do have that. They do have certainly well-planned answers for that. I guess the main thing that they said, or he said, Rod McLeod, I'm speaking of specifically. Now, first of all, their village will be at 1,100 meters, so it's going to be 500 meters higher than Whistler Village. Um, secondly, the reason this has come up again is mainly because they're hearing from Vail that they want to go more after the international fly-in market. And they feel that that's opened the door for them to capture the weekend market from the lower mainland. Now, that may be a good thing or a bad thing for Whistler. It may be a good thing for the entire corridor. Uh, having said that, I mean, do you see any way it could be a net benefit for Whistler? And I don't want to put you on the spot. Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a I, tough I, one it, to That is a big question, I, and, yeah. I, and I understand that. Yeah. But I, I just thought I'd ask because you do sit on the SLRD. I do, but, and our position as the SLRD has been that it doesn't fit within the regional growth strategy that the, the corridor and the entire regional district has agreed that we want to concentrate our development within the urban areas, within Whistler, within Squamish, within Pemberton and not create these little pockets of, because right. what that leads to down the road is now, you know, a disjointed economy. Right, right. So, no, I understand. Yeah. Um, and, and you are running uh, for counselor of Whistler, so let's let's sort of switch back to more a Whistler perspective here. Sure. And you've been in Whistler a long time, and like all of us, we've seen a lot of changes leading up to the Olympics and post-Olympics. What have you seen that you feel that Whistler went the right direction, and what have you seen where you feel like, eh, if, if, you, if you could take it back, you would have? I think that we have worked really well together as a community with Arts Whistler, with AWARE, with all of these different interest groups that have really come together to deliver a product that is world class. And 
So, you know, I used to work in the sales office at Whistler Blackcomb, bringing conferences to Whistler, and it was an easy product to sell because it's the dream. It's a beautiful place to visit. We've kept out the big, um, big developments that can really change the scope of our environment. We've um, stayed true to our commitments of Whistler 2020 in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we've really and truly, I feel like we've made commitments to protecting our environment and keeping those um, for the long term. Um, so I, I'm really pleased with that. Um, I feel that the, back to the housing, you know, keeping that a focus of, of housing 75 Right now we're at 81% of our employee workforce is residing within Whistler. That's a huge win for our community because that sets us apart. I've toured around a lot of the val uh, a lot of it's the resorts. It's different for most ski resorts in most North America. Most ski resorts and Aspen is at like 33%. Vail was at about 42%. Um, other resorts are, you know, they don't even understand why you'd have people living in the resort. They, yeah. you know, that's not where they want employees living and so we are people come here because they get an authentic experience we've done that really well um, things we haven't done well um, we haven't done enough to support our community um, things like affordable child care that is a huge crippling effect for families that have set down roots and want to remain a part of our community they want to stay I'm seeing friends leave every month people leaving, moving to Revelstoke and Silver Star because they can't find childcare, they can't find flexible work that works with the childcare that they have and um, and that's, it's really, really challenging. Now uh, others have brought this up in terms of the childcare that if we had more um, childcare and perhaps some form of subsidized childcare, it would pay off in that more employee hours would be available to those those parents. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So it's it's not just a solution for you know parents that don't have somewhere to send their kid during the day. I've worked really closely with the ten a day plan and Sharon Gregson. She's the director of the ten a day plan, and the plan works. The plan is to lower fees, which they've done create 22,000 new spaces, which they're doing, train more ECE, early, early childhood educator teachers, train more teachers so that they can create more spaces. So that makes more spaces available. It brings the cost down. So a lot of facilities across the province have been able to take advantage of these new subsidies that allow them to bring the cost down for families so that they can afford to put their kids into childcare. And get back to work. And do you feel that you bring something to the table in your experience and that you can help facilis facilitate some of these programs? Yeah, I've advocated hard. I've, uh, we, we, as a council, have um, brought the daycare working group back together, which was struck back in 2007 and worked on assessing where our community was at with how many spaces do we have and how many kids are going to be born. Well, they had no idea that we were going to have this baby boom of 2011. Everyone moved into Chequemus and Rainbow, set down roots, and boom, we have a boom. And we have 100, over 100 babies born every year from 2011, 12, 13, and 14. My son was born in 2013. I lived it. I'm living it right now. And um, it's I bring that real on-the-ground perspective 
knowing what it's like. And, and I've worked with all of the childcare centers in town and I've heard their challenges and, I've, and I feel that I can keep, do, keep doing the work. Okay. And you know, the, the other thing that a lot of these young families are doing is they're trying to start businesses. Now, what can you do as council or what could council do as a whole that you feel can, can help small businesses get started or help support existing small businesses? I think wherever we have an opportunity to um, make the process easy, not, not that just anyone can do it, but you want to make the process simple so that people can apply for their business license and have that business license and operate without a lot of headaches. And for the most part, most of the small businesses in town are saying that their biggest challenge is finding staff. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of these challenges are going to be solved with housing, rental housing, making housing simple, getting it online. And then that brings in the labor, because I also, my current job, I work as a recruiting specialist for a local recruiting agency, and our biggest challenge is finding staff, as right. is every small business in this town. Yeah, and that's, and that's nothing new in this That's nothing that's... new, but it has to do with the ability for these smaller employers to find housing and put their employees there. And we just, so we just can't get away from the housing equation. It seems no. to always circle back and... It does. We got to figure that problem out somehow. It does. Yeah. Right. Are you yeah. a little? Is it a little bit daunting? You got a four-year, another four-year term. Um, there's a lot of problems uh, ahead. I mean, is it daunting sometimes facing that? Absolutely. I lose sleep at night over yeah. the things that. Why are we doing this? Why can't we do this? Oh, great! We're doing this. How can we do this better? Um, those kinds of things. They keep me up at night. But. Um, I don't shy away from. But a, you do it anyway. I do it anyway. I don't shy away from a challenge. My hair's a little grayer, and uh, but it's worth Not it. Not noticeable. <laughs> um, okay, well, I think they're they're gonna kick us out of here at dawn. Uh, well, I want to thank them for for hosting us here today. They didn't really host us. We just kind of barged in. But I want to thank them for letting us uh, sit here and do this interview anyway. I want to thank you, Jen. And uh, as I say to everyone, good luck. Thank you. And uh, this has been Sea Sky Podcast. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.